Hello, this is Brian. Welcome to this edition of the Didcot, Abingdon and Walking and Wantage Talking Newspaper Dawn, recorded on Wednesday the 14th of February 2024. You'll hear a number of news items from the Herald series, and if you're listening from a memory stick, you'll also be able to listen to extra items from the RNRB magazine service. I'm the editor this week, and our readers are Petra, Sandra, Maureen and Maggie. Uh, the recording technicians are John and Ufuk, and in their back office we have Ruth and Maggie's doubling up uh, there as well. Uh, we start this week with an item about a possible murder in Abingdon. Hello, this is Petra. Man arrested in murder probe after woman dies. A man arrested on suspicion of murder in connection with an Abingdon death this week has been released on bail. Police, paramedics and a forensics officer were called to Spenlove Close off Dunmore Road in Abingdon shortly before 3pm last Thursday. At least five police cars and two ambulances descended on Spenlove Close on Thursday. A woman in her 50s was found dead in her flat and a 50-year-old man was arrested on suspicion of murder. Police confirmed on Saturday he had been released on bail. The force has stressed that while the man had been arrested on suspicion of murder, the woman's death was still being treated as unexplained. Local Policing Area Commander for South Oxfordshire and Vale of Whitehorse, Superintendent Lewis Prescott-Mailing, said, We are confident that there is not any risk to the wider community, and we are not looking for anybody else in connection with this incident. The arrest for murder in relation to the woman's death has the Abingdon neighbourhood in shock. Shocked neighbours say a murder in the heart of their quiet community shows it could happen anywhere. It has left residents of the brick apartment blocks in the close of Dunmore Road in a state of massive shock. Richard King, 61, who has lived there since 1989, said he didn't think it was the kind of estate where a murder could happen. He told the Oxford Mail, It's a massive shock to hear. It's a lovely quiet area. You never hear any screaming matches or anything. It shows it could happen anywhere. I'm 61 and she was in her 50s. That's terrible. A man who lives in the block where the incident happened said police wouldn't tell him what had happened. The first thing I saw was loads of police at around 3 p.m., said the man, who asked not to be named. They came into our block but wouldn't say what had happened. It's a real shock. We just keep to ourselves here. An elderly couple on the estate told this newspaper forensics had still been at the scene Friday morning. The husband, who also asked to remain anonymous, said, I went and asked what was going on, and the police said, there had been an incident, but there was no risk of harm to anybody else. We heard from somebody else that a man had been arrested, and forensics are still here this morning. Police have told residents in the close there's no risk to the wider community. Superintendent Lewis Prescott Mailing, local policing area commander for South Oxfordshire and Vale of Whitehorse, said, There will be officers remaining at the location in the coming days, while our investigation continues. It is the second murder arrest to the south of the county in the past week.
Hello, this is Sandra. New plans for Crab Hill site detail another 115 homes. New plans have been submitted as part of a 1,500 homes proposal near Wantage, which objectors fear may become dominated by car parking. The large-scale housing development at Crab Hill, an area of land behind Charlton Village and around one and a half miles from Wantage Marketplace, was given outline permission by Vale of Whitehorse District Council's Planning Committee at the end of May last year. The plans are part of the 1,500 home Kingsgrove development approved in 2015. An application which gives details of access, landscaping, appearance, layout and scale is under consultation for 115 of the homes at Crab Hill north of the A417 and east of A338. But the deadline of July 13, 2023 for submitting a reserved matters application for all the homes could not be met by developers and so only 865 of them were approved. Master developer St. Moden then took the opportunity to increase the number of remaining homes from 635 to 669, despite objection from bodies such as the Town Council. A reserved application is now being submitted for 115 of these units. A majority of the homes will comprise three-bedroom houses, 51%, with 2.6% as two-bed. The development includes three-storey flats in key locations to improve the overall aesthetic and sense of place, but the majority of the development will be two storeys high. Homes are to be of standard brick construction with thermal double glazing and passive vents with an indirect air path. Three identified parcels of land among the 115 homes are highlighted as lying within the central phase of the wider Kingsgrove development. Proposals include 42 affordable rented units. An assessment report raises no concerns about noise levels in the application and an energy statement says the development would consider the longer-term impacts of a changing climate. But pre-application engagement in October 2023 with the Vale of Whitehorse District Council and Oxfordshire County Council had noted some points of concern. The District Council said one section of the development, known as Parcel A, was dominated by car parking, leading to a poor layout with a lack of space for landscaping to contain these spaces. Developers responded by saying the proposed parking had been broken up by planting to ensure that no to, to ensure that, with one exception, there are no more than four spaces in a row. A general point of note was there is a lack of amenity space for apartments. Developers responded that five square metre balconies had been designed for flats included in the plans. A decision on the application will be made by planning committee councillors in due course. Hello, this is Maureen. A major infrastructure, structure, infrastructure plan set for scrutiny at an inquiry. A major infrastructure plan for Didcot is to be scrutinised in a public inquiry after being initially refused by the County Council's Planning and Regulation Committee. 
Set for 26 days over a 12-week period, the Secretary of State for Leveling Up Housing and Communities has called in the HIF1 Didcot and Surrounding Areas proposal. This intervention took place after the Council rejected the planning application in July 2023, and Oxfordshire County Council will now have to provide evidence supporting its application for the scheme. A plan that promises to transform travel for local residents and commuters, it has been said that the scheme will reduce congestion in nearby villages, improve air quality and noise levels, while also upgrading pedestrian and cycling connectivity. If given the green light, the project will improve the area's travel infrastructure by providing more sustainable travel options in and around Didcot, offering more reliable journey times and supporting allocated housing and employment sites. The public inquiry will be taking place at B House in Milton Park and members of the public are welcome to attend. To accommodate those unable to be there in person, <coughs> There will also be a live stream to be found on the official public inquiry portal. Furthermore, all public documents concerning the inquiry can be viewed online or at local libraries in Didcot, Abingdon, Berensfield or County Hall. The inquiry will run from 10am to 5pm from Monday to Thursdays, wrapping up at 3pm on Fridays. There are a number of dates set for the inquiry starting on February the 20th, with May the 8th to 10th set aside as reserve days. The full dates can be found on the Council's website. Post-inquiry, the government-appointed inspector will draft a report and present it to the Secretary of State, who will then make the final decision on the fate of the project. The scheme was rejected by Oxfordshire County Council last summer. After two full days of discussion last July, Seven committee members voted against the scheme, while just two were in favour. The proposals included building a dual carriageway on the A4130 from the A34 Milton Interchange towards Didcot, new bridges and a Clifton Hamden bypass. The committee's, refusal, committee's reasons for refusal were less about the principle of the scheme and more about its details. A particular focus was on the outdated traffic modelling data, which used figures from 2016 to 17 and did not consider the traffic impact on Abingdon or Newnham Courtney. There were also questions over the detailed design of the bridges included in the plans, including the major bridge over the River Thames near Cullum. Hello, this is Maggie T. Opening of Vapes Shop Sparks Anger Residents and councillors have spoken out against the appearance of a new vape shop, Wantage Vape Zone, in Marketplace, with many labelling it an eyesore. Nearby businesses first noticed the store's bright yellow and blue signs being put up in place over the weekend of February 3rd and 4th, which elicited fervent reaction from many town residents. Comments drew on the sale of vapes and the signage contrasting with the market town aesthetic, also sharing concern that children may be enticed in. Resident Kelly Gould said, It's lit up luminous yellow. It stands out like a sore thumb. 
There's no old market town charm to it. Another, Georgia Louise, said distasteful and trashy. Ruins the old market town aesthetic, let alone promoting children and teenagers to vape. Sylvia Cox said the facades for the shops can really ruin the beautiful frontage of so many wanted shops. Come on, councillors and planners, we love wantage and don't want the place ruined by unappealing signage. A small handful of other residents, however, said they did not feel the shop's presence was a problem, drawing comparative reference to the card factory, which also has yellow and blue signage. One said, I don't understand the issue. I personally don't vape. However, it's just people trying to make a living and run a business. If you don't like the shop, don't go in. It's as simple as that. Another commented, has it really caused that much of an issue? Do the bright colours not look good? I personally think it looks amazing. It's added a nice vibrant dynamic to the town. Other residents suggested an alternative shop or venue could occupy the space, such as KFC, Weatherspoons, an estate agent or a clothing store. Confusion remains as to whether the store is officially open, with people having been viewed unsuccessfully attempting to enter. No opening hours are listed for the store online, and no record of it exists on Company's House. Vaping and smoking were discussed on the agenda at an Oxfordshire Joint Health Overview and Scrutiny Committee on April 20th last year. It noted... Anecdotally, vaping among teenagers is very significant and increasing. County Councillor for Wantage, Jenny Hannaby, said, I am horrified. Such a prominent position in our historic town. How can the owner of this building believe this type of business will benefit the town? The council is in correspondence with Vale Planning Enforcement Officer, Hopefully, they will agree exterior signage is inappropriate. Wantage Town Councillor Eric Johnson said the Town Council had started the process of reporting the matter to planning enforcement officials. Mother alleges disability issues at Inflatables Park. A mother has accused a children's play centre of disability discrimination after complaining of poor treatment from staff at an inflatable fun park. Rebecca Charlie booked a party with the Bounce Park in Didcot, calling over a week in advance and arranging advance access to a party room at the venue at 1pm before the allotted session for the children started at 2pm to set up the room and accommodate for her disability. However, upon arrival on January the 20th, Miss Charlie says she was told by a staff member she could not access the room in advance and was told by the young manager on shift, your disability is not my problem and I can't do anything. She claims she and other people present present also witnessed the same staff member rudely inform her friend, whose daughter is disabled, 
she could not access the inflatable park to care for and supervise her daughter without entry payment for herself. The attraction has strongly refuted her claims of disability discrimination. Miss Charlie said, I felt hurt. They made me feel stupid. I feel exhausted from the constant pressure of needing to rush and incredibly let down. Every member of our party was offered a free drink by way of an apology, but this is not enough. Miss Charlie suggested the venue staff could be correctly versed in discrimination law and that she could be given a refund, even in part. She added, I have tried to gain an apology and nameless emails keep being sent that go around in circles. They don't listen. I posted a complaint on their social media twice and they kept deleting it. It's a bad look. The Bounce Park at Willowbrook Leisure Centre advertises itself as Oxfordshire's largest inflatable theme park with 12 inflatable activities. It opened in April 2022 and trades under the name of Elite Bounce. Managing Director Gareth Tucker said, I am deeply saddened regarding these accusations as we try our utmost best to cater for people with disability, both customers, staff and close families. Unfortunately, there seems to have been a miscommunication at this party and we were unaware that adjustments were needed before arrival. We received a complaint on Facebook post later that evening, which we had to remove to safeguard our staff. As a small business, we have worked to offer access to customers, regardless of age, ability or disability. We currently offer a monthly special educational needs session, which is popular for a number of our customers. He added, We have been in communication with the customer throughout. We have already apologized for the miscommunication. We have put into practice and will still look to improve further training and procedures to prevent the miscommunication. However, I strongly refute the discrimination claims. Neighbours in shock after arrest in murder inquiry. Neighbours have been left in shock after an arrest was made for suspicion of murder in connection with a South Oxfordshire woman's death. Residents of an estate in Farringdon have spoken out about the death at a property on their road. Thames Valley Police confirmed they were called to Russ Avenue, where a woman in her 40s was declared dead at about 1.30pm last Tuesday. The force confirmed that her death was being classed as unexplained and her next of kin are being supported by officers. A 52-year-old man known to the woman was arrested on suspicion of murder but later released on bail. Residents of Russ Avenue and Walker Drive saw police walking in and out of the block of flats on the corner of both roads. Charles Wilson of Russ Avenue said, On Tuesday evening, I saw many flashing blue lights from the kitchen window. I saw two flatbed lorries taking a vehicle from outside the flats. One was an Audi parked just outside. On Thursday, a male officer knocked and asked basic questions. A female officer knocked again on Saturday and asked me much of the same. Weird things can happen anywhere. However, just a few months ago, a man died in those flats. His death was also classed as unexplained. However, police said this incident was unrelated. 
I've lived here a year now, and it's happened twice in that block of flats. It's rare to see anyone coming or going from those flats. Other residents who did not wish to be named said there had been a heavier police presence on the estate in subsequent days, with police repeatedly knocking on doors and asking residents what they had seen. A resident of Gillian's Way said police had knocked on his door, asking him and his partner if they had seen anything and asked for footage from his ring doorbell. An officer was seen entering the flat several times on Sunday, Sunday afternoon, with a marked car parked outside throughout the afternoon. Detective Inspector Ian Dangeli said, We are carrying out a thorough investigation to establish what has happened and are keeping an open mind. Although a man has been arrested on suspicion of murder, we would like to ask the public not to speculate about the circumstances as the investigation is at an early stage. The Farringdon incident was the second murder arrest in the area this month. A man was arrested on suspicion of murder over the death of a woman in her 50s in Spenlove Close, Abingdon. The 50-year-old man has since been released on bail. David Johnston's Westminster Views Life as MP and Minister too busy to be boring. One of the most common questions I'm asked is what is life like as an MP? In general, my week is split Monday to Thursday in Parliament and Friday to Sunday back home in Didcot. Last Monday, I kicked off with a team meeting at the Department for Education, followed by my weekly meeting with the team delivering our huge expansion of childcare, with the first 15 hours of free childcare becoming available for working parents from April. Alongside various other meetings, Chilton County Primary School came for a visit to Westminster and it was great to meet them and take their questions. Tuesday included meeting with Guard to discuss the next steps following me echoing their call for a public inquiry of the reservoir proposal in December. Attending a networking event of charities and businesses involved in our Disability Action Plan and responding for the government in a debate about nursery provision in the southwest. Just as MPs like myself have regular surgeries with constituents, so ministers have regular surgeries with MPs to discuss problems they're having locally in areas the minister covers, and Wednesday kicked off with one of these. After attending PMQs, I presented to Parliament my petition to reopen Grove Station, which I'm grateful to the 2,127 of you for signing. I met my parliamentary team before taking another debate, this time on special educational needs and several other meetings. Last week was National Apprenticeship Week and on Thursday I visited childcare apprentices and then another nursery. To and from the visits I had calls with 10 local authorities and did some paperwork. Then on Friday, I began with Q&A at Didcot 6 form, then met with Leanne and Mark from Active Future South Oxfordshire and visited apprentices at Williams Racing in Grove. I had several surgery appointments, including meeting a local sub-postmaster who'd contacted me after seeing the ITV drama about the Horizon scandal, having recognised that what happened had also happened to her. I am pleased the government is taking such decisive action to right this wrong. 
I met with Neve Durney to talk about the next steps in her campaign against sexual harassment and then had the pleasure of meeting Michaela Beams from Team Michaela, which I am a proud patron of, with her Points of Light Award for the Prime Minister. Then I rounded off the day with my weekly visit to Merv. Weekends are always a combination of door-knocking emails and paperwork for both MP and Minister roles, and when I can manage it, Liverpool games. I love the ability to make a difference in the job and the variety. As I always say to people, it's better to be very busy than bored. Police boss hopeful wants end to culture wars game. The new candidate for a senior policing position wants an end to playing culture wars around frankly marginal issues. Liberal Democrats have put forward Oxfordshire County Councillor Tim Bearder for the Thames Valley Police and Crime Commissioner election. The position is filled by Conservative Matthew Barber and its responsibilities include general oversight of the Thames Valley Police Force and holding the Chief Constable to account for delivery of the Police and Crime Plan. Mr Bearder, who is also Cabinet Member for Adult Social Care on the Council, said, Speeding and reckless driving is by far the most experienced crime of our residents. One of Matthew Barber's priorities is illegal encampments. What he seems to be doing is playing cultural wars with these frankly marginal issues. They are a diversion from failings in relation to real problems which are actually killing people. The Wheatley Division Councillor added, I totally accept that rural crime is devastating for the people it affects. He cited camera technology as a way of improving new law enforcement and claimed Mr Barber had displayed a begrudging support of average speed cameras on roads. Why is he not proactively taking that action, Mr Bearder said. Mr Barber responded, I don't think there's a trade-off between rural crime and traffic offences. He spoke of more than 100% increase in speed enforcement notices and said there was ongoing efforts to improve CCTV in relation to claims he had displayed a massive reluctance towards camera use. Road safety is really important, is a really important area, and I wouldn't for a moment suggest it shouldn't be, he said. Mr Bearder also stated he intends to make sure policing aligns with the concerns of residents and improve frontline policing. This is a huge responsibility which I don't take lightly, he said. I would work collaboratively with the Chief Constable to address issues such as the shortage of detectives. The Conservatives have taken the Police and Crime Commissioner role for granted. Mr Barber responded, This couldn't be further from the truth. This role is one I love and one I'm passionate about. He referenced a big drive around neighbourhood policing. In relation to cameras, Mr Barber added, local authorities also have a part to play. Other councils 
also deploy speed cameras themselves. Leila Moran, MP, Member of Parliament for Oxford West and Abingdon said, With Tim Bearder at the helm, we have the opportunity to elect a passionate community advocate who will champion tough, innovative policing in one of the nation's largest forces. Tim pledges to enhance the visibility, accountability and responsiveness of policing to make sure it aligns with the concerns of residents. Matthew Barber has confirmed he will stay on as the Conservatives Police and Crime Commissioner candidate. Tim Starkey is the Labour candidate for the Police and Crime Commissioner role. An election will take place this year on May the 2nd. Tactical Voting Group targets five Tory seats. A group of activists is encouraging tactical voting to beat five Conservative MPs at this year's general election. Campus Oxfordshire hosted its inaugural conference in Oxford to prepare volunteers for the 2024 poll. It focused on strategies to ensure the election of progressive candidates across the group has identified Henley and Tame, Banbury, Whitney, Bister and Woodstock, and Didcot and Wantage as key targets. Member Claire Jones said, Despite current polling, the progressive parties have a mountain to climb and every seat counts. To secure real change, Oxfordshire's voters must work together by voting tactically where needed to help the best-placed progressive party candidate take every seat possible. According to current polls, there is already a progressive anti-conservative majority in most of these constituencies. However, the group warns that a divided progressive vote could still allow conservative victory in these areas. They emphasize the importance of tactical voting to avoid vote splitting. In the coming months, attendees from the meeting will establish election 24 stalls in key towns of these priority constituencies. The objective of these stalls is to engage with the public, highlighting the necessities of tactical voting and providing information on which party to support for maximum tactical impact. Council reaffirms sanctuary status to help refugees. Migrants, including asylum seekers and refugees, will continue to be welcomed in Oxfordshire following the County Council's reaffirmation of its sanctuary status. In November, Council members passed a motion maintaining their pride in their history of providing refuge to those seeking safety abroad. Liz Lefman, leader of Oxfordshire County Council, has reiterated this pledge signing an agreement to combat anti-refugee laws on behalf of the Council. She said, Our ambition in Oxfordshire is to support a refugee and asylum system that ensures a warm welcome for all new arrivals and embraces and supports independent living for those staying in the county. Oxfordshire is enhanced by the contribution of a range of diverse communities living here, we are committed to playing our part in the overall national and international challenge. To that end, 
Oxfordshire County Council is looking to become a recognised council of sanctuary. Through schemes including Homes for Ukraine, Afghan Citizens Resettlement Scheme, the UK Resettlement Scheme and Hong Kong British National Overseas, the Oxfordshire Migration Partnership is already helping numerous individuals. Joining the City of Sanctuary Local Authority Network will provide a structure for shaping the Council's future plans. Environmental Charity brings in two co-chairs. An environmental charity has appointed two new co-chairs to its Board of Trustees. Earth Trust near Didcot has announced the appointments of Sarah Hendry and Frank Negriello in a move towards a heightened profile and visibility in the championing of natural green spaces. They are being asked to guide Earth Trust towards its next chapter to engage more communities with nature. CEO Jane Manley said, Their combined expertise and oversight will be pivotal as we scale our impact and deliver against our purpose of engaging diverse communities with natural green spaces. Sarah Hendry arrives with more than 25 years of experience leading national environmental and land use policy in the UK Civil Service. As Director General of the Country Land and Business Association, She steered strategic direction amidst fundamental changes to environmental and farming policies. She said she's looking forward to supporting Earth Trust's advocacy for better green space access and its work to influence policy. Ms Hendry said, I believe that we can have a real impact influencing policies and putting into practice approaches that truly enable communities to connect with nature. Frank Negriello is a seasoned non-executive director dedicated to promoting responsible business behaviours. His roles have included working with large companies from the IT, financial services, logistics and manufacturing sectors, as well as being the Prince of Wales Responsible Business Ambassador for the South East for four years. Backlash over calls for pub offensive name to change. Calls to change the offensive name of a pub have been faced with a backlash. Nearly 750 people signed a petition on change.org calling for the Midget Pub in Abingdon to be renamed, saying the word was offensive and outdated. But calls to change it have been faced with a rebuttal with more than 900 locals signing a rival petition demanding the name stay put. Organiser Sammy Rhodes said, This pub, named after a car, is part of the history of our town. It's more than just a name. It represents our shared heritage and community spirit. She said the pub, which opened in 1974, has been a cornerstone of our local community for decades. Owner Green King said its name refers to the MG Midget, which was manufactured in the town from 1929 to 1979. Miss Rhodes said, Its name pays homage to an iconic car model, and it is an important piece of our local history that should not be erased or forgotten. 
Changing the name would not only disregard this historical significance, but also alienate long-time patrons who hold dear memories associated with this establishment. Let us respect tradition while embracing progress without compromising either one. Stand with us in protecting the legacy embodied within the walls and nameplate of our beloved local public house. The original petition called on owner Green King to recognise the offence of the term and its implications. It stated, Midget is a derogatory word used towards people with dwarfism. People with dwarfism, including children with the condition, experience name-calling on a daily basis. Organiser Erin Pritchard challenged Green King's assertion that the pub is named after the MG Midget car as the name omits MG. Furthermore, the origins of the name of that car come from freak show terminology, which is disabilist hate speech and flouts the Equality Act, she said. Many people commented on Miss Pritchard's petition to offer their support, including several people with dwarfism. One said, why would you want to be called the M-word? I have all my life and it sucks. Car enthusiasts from the town's MG Car Club have also defended the name, saying it celebrates the town's motoring history. A Green King spokeswoman said, we are aware of the negative connotations connected with the word and would not want to offend or alienate our community in any way. The pub is named after the MG Midget car, which is from the iconic motoring brand in Abingdon. MG and the car is shown on the pub's signage. Clear up after floods. The Environment Agency has set to work clearing flood debris in Abingdon. Field teams have been carrying out annual maintenance on the River Ock. Work, has also, work also involved removing debris from tr trash screens in Abingdon in locations including Radley Park Ditch and the River Sturt. Flooding in Abingdon last Friday caused increasing tailbacks on the roads and a crash on the A34. Jogger hit from behind by hood-wearing cyclist. A woman has been hit from behind by a man on a bike while she was running on a cycle track in Abingdon. The runner in her 60s was jogging in Peeper Day Lane at about 3.30pm on Monday last week when she was hit by the cyclist riding past. The cyclist is described by police as a white man in his late teens to early 20s. He was wearing a black jacket with his hood up a dark face mask, and carrying a camouflage backpack. The woman did not suffer any injuries. Investigating officer PC Matthew Glenn said, I am appealing for witnesses to this assault to please come forward. You can contact us either via our website or by calling 101, quoting the reference number 432-400-59550. Anyone with information can also contact the independent charity Crime Stoppers anonymously on 0800 555 111.
river level alerts. There were 34 flood alerts issued across Oxfordshire at the start of the week, with six flood warnings on rivers. The Environment Agency warned flooding was still possible on the Thames and Cherwell rivers and tributaries. Thames Travel informed customers on Monday it was unable to serve passengers in Long Whitnam and Clifton Hamden near Dickhot as a result of flooding. Charity to help young people in line for support. A charity which supports vulnerable young people has been nominated for an Oxford University support scheme. Sophia, South Oxfordshire Food and Education Alliance, has been shortlisted for this year's University of Oxford Student Union Rag Ballot, also known as the Oxford SU Rag Ballot. The organisation, focused on the well-being of youth, now awaits the collective decision of the approximately 24,000 students able to cast their votes in the student union. Voting on the RAG ballot began on February 5th at 8am alongside the Oxford SU leadership elections and will close on February the 8th at 6pm. After the voting period, the two local charities, having received the most votes, are declared the winners. Every year, the RAG charity ballot conducted in Hillary term supports four charities two local charities and two international or national ones. To qualify as a local charity, the organisation has to be based in Oxfordshire and conduct most of their work in the region. The winning charities will share RAG's fundraising profits for the academic year from August 1st, 2024 to July 31st, 2025. Sophia recently received a visit from King Charles III and Queen Camilla at its Didcot site to launch their Coronation Food Project alongside Fair Share UK and the Felix Project. Richard Kennell, CEO at Sophia, said we were delighted and honoured to host their Majesties King Charles and Queen Camilla. Investigations on Home Front Over the last three decades, there has been a tremendous growth in tracing the history of one's family home, aided by the increasing availability of source material on the internet. Even new developments on the periphery of Abingdon have a history waiting to be detected. How did the street receive its name? What occupied the site before? Was it built on former farmland where field names indicate the type of soil or vegetation? Prior to the mid-19th century, most properties in Abingdon, including shops, industrial premises and pubs, were held on 21-year leases, renewable after 7 or 14 years. The older the house, the more the researcher has to engage with handwritten documents and the vagaries of spelling, not to mention old money. If the family house was formerly a pub, e.g. number 3 Sturt Street, the second oldest house in town, records such as the Brewster Session identify licensees. 
Research may involve trips to the local county record office, possibly even the National Archives. The number of hearths was taxed in the 17th century. A large number of hearths could point to an inn rather than a private residence. Number 28 Eastern Helen Street has been identified as the Unicorn Inn, but then became a private residence. A blue plaque records, records that William of Orange was entertained there in 1688 when on his way from Torbay to London to replace James II on the British throne. Older buildings may initially have had an industrial function before their later conversion to housing. Good examples are the conversion of the former Moreland Brewery buildings into flats and the hygienic laundry into modern townhouses. The laundry building had previously been an ironworks. Part of the Abbey buildings in Thames Street, now the Unicorn Theatre, were once used as accommodation as were buildings in the old jail yard long since demolished. Dendrochronology, the scientific study of dating the age by studying tree rings, has been employed by Oxford Archaeology to determine the age of four old houses in Abingdon. Three in East St. Helen Street, numbers 26, 26A, 28 and 30, and the Knolls in Sturt Street. This is not surprising, as these are amongst the oldest streets in town, one with its focus on St. Helen's Church and the other sheltering under the Abbey Wall. Number 26, 26A, now known as the Merchant's House, was the subject of a comprehensive study published in 1995. It is the oldest house in Abingdon, dated, dated to 1429 to 1431. In 1905, ivy cottages formerly in the rear constituted the only court in Eastern Helen Street and was, were scheduled as a clearance area. Despite this, they were used temporarily to house evacuees in the 1940s. Despite alterations over the centuries, the significance of the house was recognised by Agnes Baker, an Abingdon historian, uh, who bought it around 1946, thus saving it from demolition. She identified it as the home of Sir James Braybrook, who died in 1509. The house is now owned by the Oxford Preservation Trust and is open on the Heritage Weekend. Many 20th century homes also hide their earlier appearance, particularly those constructed in the 1950s when there was an acute shortage of traditional building materials such as bricks. This period witnessed the beginnings of prefabrication and the development of what became known as non-standard construction, particularly the use of pre-cat reinforced concrete. Predominant types in Abingdon were the so-called Cornish units and unity housing. The panels may have been produced locally at the Cowley Concrete Works in Radley Road, which is known to have been involved in house construction. Necessary remedial work now masks the exteriors, exteriors of the original Cornish unit housing in Lammers Close and the Oxford Road, and unity housing at Wildmoor, where 120 houses 
were put out to tender. The borough council was keen to perpetuate old field names such as Lark Hill and Long Mead. Tracing the history of your house can be a very satisfying hobby. Maps, old photographs and newspapers, deeds, town guides and directories like Hooks Abingdon Almanac and Directory offer rich pickings for today's detectives. School helps out in National Citizen Science Experiment. A citizen science experiment has seen more than a thousand scientists and 110 UK secondary schools, including one in Didcot, work together to produce findings set to be published in a Royal Society of Chemistry journal. The study involved students and teachers making different samples of calcium carbonate under various conditions, with 800 samples analysed in just 24 hours in April 2017. Didcot Girls' School were heavily involved in the project, with lead authors Claire Murray, visiting scientist at Diamond Light Source, and Julia Parker, Diamond Principal Beamline Scientist, from the start. Gree E. Christensen, a former student and Project M scientist at Didcot Girls' School, hailed the experience as an amazing journey and a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for the students. Ms. Murray said, Nature uses molecules like amino acids and proteins to direct the formation of calcium carbonate. We were interested in discovering how some of these molecules affect the calcium carbonate that we make in the lab. Using the X-ray powder diffraction technique at the diamond light source, the UK's national synchrotron, a particle accelerator, scientists produced an enormous set of results in record time. Calcium's three main forms, called polymorphs, are vaterite, calcite and aragonite, and can be identified using diamond's beamline. Understanding how additives impact the production of the different forms of the mineral has vast implications across various industries, from manufacturing and medical applications to cosmetics. Ms. Murray said, The project was led by a scientific question we had. The contribution that student citizen scientists can make to research should not be underestimated. These projects can provide a powerful way for researchers to access volumes of data they might struggle to collect otherwise. Participating students assess their results, identifying the type of polymorphs they produced and comparing their findings with those of other schools throughout the UK. Claire Murray said, the fact that we didn't know the answer yet was a motivational factor for the students. Teachers reported the students' excitement to apply their lab skills to the real-world experiment, with Matthew Wainwright, a teacher and Project M scientist at Kettlethorpe High School, Wakefield, adding that the venture served as a blueprint for future projects that aim to engage young people in science beyond the classroom. Julia Parker said... In our work, we see how we can draw novel scientific conclusions regarding the effect of amino acids on the structure of calcite and vaterite calcium carbonate polymorphs. This ability to explore a wide parameter space in sample conditions whilst providing continued educational and scientific engagement benefits for the students and teachers involved 
can we hope in future be applied to other materials synthesis investigations? Digital Skills Programme expands to more pupils. An award-winning education programme <clears throat> encouraging pupils to take digital careers has expanded to an Oxfordshire school. <clears throat> University Technical College, UTC, Oxfordshire, in Harwell near Didcot, will now offer the Digital Futures programme. Conceived in close collaboration with digital infrastructure industry employers, the programme is unprecedented in UK schooling. Catering to 14 to 19-year-olds, the programme provides knowledge and skills for working in digital infrastructure careers, such as network cabling and data centres. It will be offered at UTC colleges in Reading and Swindon. Richard Oosterom from Digital Reality said, we see it as a way to contribute to the education of our current generation, to promote the data centre sector, which is increasingly important for the digital economy, and as a source of development for our staff, it's a win-win for all. Implemented by UTC Heathrow and its employer partners in 2021, the programme earned recognition with three worldwide accolades, including the Data Cloud Global Awards Education and Employment Project of the Year. Industry collaborators contribute to the curriculum development as well as provide employer-led projects, masterclasses and skills workshops. The programme has proved fruitful with the initial graduates securing apprenticeships with partner industries. It is helping to fill a skills shortage in the digital infrastructure industry. The Active Learning Education Trust, ALET, and its partners are educating students in these skills to fortify the industry. Head of Employment Engagement at ALET, Mike Halliday, said, ALET is playing a critical part in building a skills pipeline essential to the UK economy. The Digital Futures Programme represents a unique opportunity for industry to engage at programmatic level in transforming the lives of younger people. The programme's extension was announced at an event attended by nine industry partners at UTC Reading. These specialised secondary schools and sixth forms focus on science, technology, engineering and maths, STEM subjects, as well as providing a core curriculum of English, maths and science. Canal Trust seals leaks with waste ash from railway. Dicot Railway Centre received a visit from representatives of the Canal and River Trust to collect waste from steam locomotives. Matt Hudson and Roger Jones of the Trust arranged to collect the waste ash from steam locomotives in bags as it is used to seal water leaks around the edges of lock gates. Mr Jones said, You pour the ash in where the gate is leaking and it seals like magic. We'd like to thank everyone at Didcot Railway Centre for allowing us on site to help with this valuable work. He said that water leaks in the canal were expensive, with the trust facing costs of £600 an hour to run electric pumps to keep the canal full. Volunteer and photographer at the Railways Centre, Frank Dumbleton, said... 
It is gratifying to learn that Ash from Great Western Railway Locomotives is assisting the Kennet and Avon Canal to reduce its costs. The GWR owned the canal, which allows navigation from Reading to Bath, from 1851 and did its best to run the business down. In 1926, the railway applied to abandon it, but the Minister of Transport refused permission and the railway remained the owner until nationalisation in 1948 when the canal was transferred to the British Transport Commission. The canal is now part of the 2,000-mile network of rivers and canals owned by the Canal and River Trust, which is a charity. Lion dancers bring New Year to Arts Centre. A performance by Chinese lion dancers celebrated the Chinese New Year in Didcot. Spectators gathered in the courtyard outside Cornerstone Arts Centre from 1.30pm on Sunday to watch the lion dancers mark the Lunar New Year. David Ruan, leader of South Oxfordshire District Council, took to X, formerly Twitter, to share a video of some of the performance. Cornerstone is a purpose-built arts, culture and entertainment venue run by South Oxfordshire District Council. After opening in 2008, the centre has continually strived to present a programme of live performance, participatory activities, exhibitions and outreach work that meet the needs of the local community and beyond. 1940s film Gaslight, part of awareness event. The Mayor of Abingdon will take part in an event screening for the 1940s film Gaslight for International Women's Day. Aimed at raising domestic abuse awareness, Mayor Gwyneth Lewis is organising the free event on Friday, March the 8th at the Abbey Cinema starting at 5.30pm. An array of speakers featuring before an open session will precede the film screening at 7.30pm. Councillor Lewis said, I am looking forward to this opportunity to raise awareness in Abingdon and with the current service providers to jointly discuss methods of education and improving support for victims and survivors. I am pleased to be helped by the charity Reducing the Risk, who share my vision for Abingdon to become a beacon town of best practice and collaborative intersectoral working for the benefit of all. Gaslight, a classic featuring Ingrid Bergman, vividly portrays the menacing effects of coercive control, a form of domestic abuse. The film's title is believed to originate the term gaslighting. Mayor Lewis is also a National Clinical Director for Maternity Services and Women's Health and an influential International Women's Health Consultant at WHO. She has previously written and publicly spoke about improving the physical, mental and social services for those who are vulnerable, excluded, hidden or have no voice as well as supporting children affected by violence in their home. Audience members must reserve their free tickets in advance from the Abbey Cinema box office. Visitors line up for engine encounters. Steam days at Didcot Railway Centre are continuing to put 
pull in visitors of all ages from far and wide. The events allow visitors to travel back in time to the golden age of the Great Western Railway, exploring the sights, sounds and smells of steam. Guests can explore the 21-acre living museum with trains dating from Victorian times to the 1960s. Steam trains operate on at least one of the centre's two demonstration lines, allowing for unlimited rides. On some steam days, the second line is also used and might feature a pioneering diesel rail car, a heritage diesel locomotive or a small branch line steam train. Steam days continue this half term today and both days this weekend. See the Railway Centre's website for more information and what's on. Charity Founder Presented with PM Award A wanted teenager has officially been presented with her Points of Light Award from Rishi Sunak. 17-year-old Michaela Beams founded Team Michaela in 2011, a charity aimed at helping children undergoing treatment for brain cancer at four different hospitals by granting wishes and giving them gifts. Michaela was presented with the award by MP for Wantage, David Johnston. He said, As the proud patron of her charity, I was honoured to present Michaela with her well-deserved Points of Light Award from the Prime Minister. It recognises the incredible work that she has done to improve the lives of hundreds of children across England who are bravely battling cancer. Michaela said, I am surprised and honoured to be recognised for my charity work from our Prime Minister and a huge thank you to our patron and local MP, David Johnston, for presenting it. Dinosaur Adventure Back A dinosaur show is coming to the Beacon in Wantage this week. Dinosaur Adventure Live, Adventure Live is back now with a performance called Trouble on Volcano Island. An ancient volcano becomes active, posing a grave risk for everyone, including the dinosaurs. The audience for Friday's show will be introduced to dinosaurs such as the Triceratops, Spinosaurus, and the T-Rex.